Hey everybody, welcome back. It's time for another episode of the Cripes Cast with me, your host, Charlie Barons. We are, of course, presented by Jolly Good Soda. And we've got a great episode for you this week. I had the honor of chatting with Sashir Zameda, who you might recognize from her time on SNL and a bunch of other shows, including Home Economics on ABC and Woke. Um, I met Sashir at a comedy show. Actually, we were both performing in Milwaukee at Marquette University. Uh, I met her with Roy Wood Jr., who has also been on the podcast. All three of us were performing that night. Um, and uh, she was kind enough to come on the Cripes cast, which I don't take for granted because she's extremely busy. And I think this is going to be an especially great episode for those of you who love comedy because we had a, a great section where we talked about, you know, Sashir, she was doing um, improv in college and couldn't get on the team so she and a bunch of her friends just started their own team and eventually they got so good that that's how she got her agent that's how she got her manager eventually that's how she got SNL so it's just uh cool to hear someone who w was told no and then turn that no into a yes and I, I I really enjoy that story I feel like I relate to it um uh in a lot of ways just being told no 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 and then kind of starting my own thing and it took off so very cool. And she also does a lot of work with the ACLU. And we get to hear some very interesting stories about her family. Her mom actually helped desegregate a school uh, in the South. So um, it, it's just a lot of incredible stories packed into one podcast. And we talk about bird watching. We are both bird watchers. And that is perhaps what I I, um, re I really nerded out with her on this, and uh, I'm happy we could do it. So anyway, right now, I am coming to you alive from some hotel in Tacoma. Um, we were in Spokane last night. By the way, there's this great place called Wisconsin Burger in Spokane, and they have phenomenal burgers. Went there before the show. Got the man to walk. It was phenomenal. On the road with me is Dante and Bill and Andy. Uh, Bill Doucette, Andy Rafi, you've seen them in videos. Dante, you've seen him some videos too. Dante, of course, is the merch king. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we're having fun. We haven't killed each other yet, and we just went on a five-hour car journey. So that's really impressive. Uh, this week coming up, we've got shows in Milwaukee at the Riverside. They're all sold out. But Ohio is not sold out yet, and we have Dayton, Columbus, and Cleveland coming up at the end of the month. Uh, if you want tickets... Check it out, cripescast.com. All right, time for my interview with Sashir Zameda. When did we see each other? What month was it? Was that May of last year? Or uh, It couldn't have been last year because we were at a college. We were at a college. Yeah. Yeah. It was um, last year. Marquette. Last year? Yeah. 2021? Yeah. Oh, I guess so. I guess it's possible. I don't know. Time is really crazy. <laughs> it is a weird thing. Yeah. I was like, it must have been before the pandemic, but I guess the world did open up last year in a in some sort of way. It was like all the rates were going down and it was like a very, very socially distant show. I think there were 200 yeah. people in like a, a 1200 oh, that's seat right. theater. Everyone had masks on. It was yeah. strange. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect, perfect environment to tell some yes. jokes in. Absolutely. You know, yeah, that's what like, you want. Yeah. If you heard a muffled chuckle in that room, it was like, oh, I'm crushing. This joke's a keeper. Yeah. I also feel like the lights were on. Yeah, the like lights usually were on. the case for a college show because it's run by children and they don't, they don't always know. know how to run a show. Yeah. Well, it's a tough thing. You, you run one and then you're like, oh, yeah, probably should have shut the lights off. Probably. Uh, <laughs> it's a learning thing. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, you've got the show in Indianapolis uh, mm -hmm. coming up. And then where are you playing in, in Minneapolis? You playing? I'm going to Indianapolis uh, at the White Rabbit Cabaret. And then I'm going to Bloomington. I'm going to um, Comedy Attic. Oh, what, I, when I go to Minneapolis, I usually I like to play the Mall of America, you know, because. Uh, I didn't even know you could play the Mall of yeah. America. Yeah. What's what's a comedy club there? I'm asking myself now. Uh, House of Comedy? Is it the House of Comedy? I don't know. Great. Maybe. Sure. For the purposes of this conversation. So I've never uh, been to the Mall of America. I would I would like to go. It feels like that's like an American landmark that should be explored. Yeah, it's right in Bloomington too. So really? Yeah. What? 
It's not even in Minneapolis. So it, it's it'll be, your, you know, if you got to get some Are you sneakers. saying Minneapolis, like Minneapolis, Minnesota? I think so. Wait, Bloomington, they, they, there's a Bloomington, Minnesota, too, isn't there? Oh, I'm talking about Bloomington, Indiana. Oh, well, this whole conversation <laughs> shot, you know? I don't know why I, mean, I thought, <laughs> I don't know why I thought that. Is it Bloomington? Now I need to, you know what's weird? I majored be. in geography. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't know. <laughs> did, did you really? Um, yeah. I mean, that, that's like that's the case that. in the Midwest. <laughs> that was a serious um, There's lots of repeat, I don't believe Town it. names. Um, town <laughs> lots names. Lots of repeat town um, names, yeah. Springfields, um, what are other ones? I guess Bloomington. I just drove through Austin, Minnesota today, so... Yeah, yeah, there you go. Nice this time. Miami. Miami of Ohio, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, we could do that. This could be the podcast. <laughs> rip on these things. <laughs> what are towns that are in different places? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's going to be a solid bit. Um, yeah. So, well, let's let's actually... Um, uh, you, so, you, you grew up in Indi- Indianapolis or a I different did. part of me? How'd you like I, that? I liked it. I was a military brat uh, until I was nine or so when my parents split. But we so we bounced around a bunch, and then when I was nine, moved to Indianapolis, and I was there till I graduated for college. And my mom's side of the family stayed there. Like every all of her siblings moved there eventually, and so it's kind uh-huh. of now that's where we are. Yeah. Um, but it, it's nice. It's like a great place to raise kids. It's the Midwest. <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah. Great review. Yeah. Solid. It's yeah. I mean, it's like not definitely not fast paced, but it's also not like the slowest Midwest city I've ever been to. They're trying. And honestly, they're, they're since are. I've left uh, and like come back to visit, they're like putting cooler shit in there. It's like a Fountain Square where there's like yeah, a, like a burlesque place. Uh, cool like vegan restaurants and just like hipster bars and stuff so yeah when i was there it was during the nfl combine so it had all the all the new and I didn't, bells and I, whistles yeah i didn't realize that was always in indianapolis and i, I was yeah. like two weeks ago years old when i figured that out and i went into this bar have you ever been there uh, i think it's called the slippery noodle or something yes uh, uh-huh. oh yeah is that the name of it i think so i think that's right they they got these this back uh, wall with uh, bullets in it that John Dillinger shot at the wall. Do you think that's true or is that just something they said? Oh, you haven't? You, I don't remember the bullet holes. Yeah, but there's like a um, it's a it used to be an old time um, Bardello. I don't know if that's the proper term. I don't even know what Bardello is. Uh, whorehouse. Is that Uh-ho. the proper term? Yeah, that's not the proper yeah. term, but I was trying to figure out how else to say it. But yeah, yeah from back in the day. Anyway, yeah. yeah, so this is uh, this is really just a wonderful uh, segue into your shows. Yeah. <laughs> speaking of whorehouses. Yeah, speaking of whorehouses. <laughs> so how, how, is, uh, how is the new material coming along that you're putting in? I'm really excited about it. It's, um, I like, of course, you know, I was trying to figure out how to address COVID, which is so annoying because yeah. I don't want to, but I, you, I can't not, I can't yeah. like act like nothing happened, but yeah. I've just been talking about like my anxiety <laughs> that I've discovered is worse than I thought, um, which I think a lot of people can relate to. And yeah, I think there's like definitely more of a lean towards health in my material which I wasn't trying to do, but it's, it was like a nice discovery through writing just what, what's what been going on or what I've been thinking about over the last couple of years. And yeah, I'm hoping that people feel a connection to it. Yeah, and the anxiety, did you just discover that during COVID in a, a different way or, or why focus on that? I always uh, knew I had social anxiety, but then it really like came out during the pandemic because I was like 
Well, I think everyone had a healthy um, fear of other humans in general because we could kill each other. But yeah, right. Then I was just like distrustful of friends and like really not wanting to like have anyone near my home and. I was like, oh, shit, maybe this is something else. <laughs> maybe it's not just like a regular, yeah. like, oh, yeah, I don't want COVID. But it's like, is there um, something deeper? And and then also I was experiencing these heart palpitations, which oh. I had had whenever I had a panic attack, which is also something that, like, increased over the years. Not Nothing to do with the pandemic. Just, like, occasionally I'll get a panic attack. Um but then I was getting palpitations w- minus the panic attacks. And I was like, what's that? And I did these tests and like had to do a thing where I had to like run on a treadmill. And I was like hooked up all, all these like tubes and stuff. Or um, I had a heart monitor that I had to wear for like two weeks. And whenever you feel a palpitation, I had to like tap on it to like let it know like uh, something just happened. And then throughout the process, the doc- one of the doctors was like, it's probably nothing physical. It might be anxiety. And I was like, what? <laughs> no, <laughs> that's crazy. That's yeah. no, that it must be something wrong with my heart, which is like, why would I want that to be the case? But, <laughs> right. but I was like, couldn't be anxiety. I feel great. Um, and then results came back and they were like, yeah, thankfully nothing physically is wrong with you, which is great news. But I was like, well, what about the heart monitor? Like I was tapping it like crazy and they're like yeah you were <laughs> the monitor itself <laughs> wasn't reading anything you were tapping it like eight to ten times a day and i was like oh it sounds like something a, an anxious person would probably do <laughs> um so yeah so yeah there's there's anxiety there which is like honestly good to know because i feel like before i just had these palpitations and i didn't know what they were coming from and i was like oh am i dying <laughs> which yeah. would make me spiral even more but now it's like if it does happen, I'm like, okay, I'm anxious right now, and that is okay, and I can just breathe a little bit and maybe assess my surroundings. What's making me anxious? I don't always know the answer, but um, it's at least nice to know that's what that's that's what's happening right now, as opposed to being like, what is this? Yeah, yeah, I got. I mean, I think I have that too. I don't know, uh, like where I guess I don't necessarily know how to describe it, but I feel like a lot of people. Um, uh, have some form of it like do you have any tips on uh how you're uh dealing with it now that you know that that's the issue uh, i try to meditate i learned transcendental meditation oh, um, nice. in 2020 which was very helpful but it is it's hard to keep up with for me just because yeah. ideally mm. you do it twice a day like in the morning or the afternoon or whenever your schedule allows but um Sometimes I wake up and I'm like, I don't feel like sitting longer. <laughs> I yeah. want to start my day. Um, but it's only 20 minutes. So it's like I waste 20 minutes scrolling on Instagram all the time. Like I can I know. definitely just close my eyes for 20 minutes and be one with myself for a moment. And I, I always feel better after I do it. Isn't that crazy? The things that make us feel the best, we just push them off. Yes. I started doing transcendental meditation too, like in uh, 20 uh maybe 19 toward the end of it mm-hmm. or 20 i can't even remember maybe 2020 was when i started doing it but yeah, yeah. I, I i'm good i can get maybe one in a day but yeah i guess that's not how it works you're supposed to do it twice so, yeah after that second one i'm like whoo baby that's what it was supposed to feel like the whole time yeah. <laughs> but i'm like ah, i can only fit in one and it's like do you you know the second one's gonna be so good just do it yeah yeah, but we we drag our heels to the things that are the best for us. That's kind of a, a relatable thing, no matter who you are, for some reason. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, anything other than meditation? Uh, any other tricks of the trade? I like being in nature. That's like, good. Yeah, just even going outside it doesn't have to be like a hike or you know spending the whole day, but just like putting your feet on the grass or like just looking at trees or just also I heard if you're if you get like five minutes of sunlight in your retina like not don't stare at the sun but just like if you if you're outside for like five minutes it kind of boosts your endorphins and makes your body feel like awake and also that helps you sleep which and sleep does also help your brain function so yeah getting outside is is very important it's a whole thing yeah, I've I've gotten into uh, the hiking stuff. That's always good. 
I like uh, kind of a loser. I got some nice uh, binoculars. So I'm, I, I got these ducks and I watch these ducks uh, oh, outside my window. So I'm That's big nice. into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the, uh, I don't know. There's something about like looking at birds is kind of like, um, it's kind of like scuba diving, you know, except mm -hmm. outside of water, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, is there something with like getting older and liking birds? Because I also really <laughs> like birds. Do you? I have, like, yes, there's no way that like fly over our yard like every night. And I just like go outside and watch the parrots. Are they and green? It's so nice. They are, are they green. The green that those are like, aren't those somewhat famous, like the LA yes. parrots or something? What's the deal with those? How did someone just get a bunch of parrots and let them go? <laughs> I've heard multiple stories. I heard okay. there was like a pet shop that was burning down, and the owner freed the parrots so that they could live. <laughs> I like that story. I don't know what uh, yeah. competing storylines there are, but that's a good one. I think I also heard like someone brought them from like South America or somewhere and like accidentally let them go. Um, but yeah, there's a bunch of parrots here, which is amazing. I like them. They're very loud, but I they make me feel good because it doesn't feel like that should be happening in L.A. Yeah, but it is. So it feels like a different place. That's like, like that's a whole bit there of like because parrots, um, you know, if if like parrots just repeated all the stuff they heard in LA, you know? Oh, uh, you know, it's kind of like overheard in LA, but <laughs> like, the parrots. Is there book. gluten in this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole animated concept right there or something. <laughs> yeah, the LA parrots. Yeah, exactly. So you like uh, looking at parrots. Now, are you doing this just through your own eyes or have you gone the extra step, invested in some binocs? I've been some... doing it raw, just my eyeballs really? so far. Wow. But I maybe I'll invest in some binoculars. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I guess it's a game. They're changer. pretty. They're pretty close. They're close enough that I'm like I can see them. But I guess if I want to see some far away birds, I should get some binoculars. But I doubt, as as sort of a binocular enthusiast now, mm -hmm. they're never close enough. So I think, <laughs> I think you. Just owe it to yourself. You know what? I'm going to send you some binoculars. Okay. That is going to be my gift to you. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah. I can't wait. I, I know that's a half facetious reply, but once you get them, you're going to, like, you are going to thank I think I will use time. them. A friend, because I kept talking about all the birds in my yard, <laughs> a friend gave me, like, a bird index, and I was like, I do appreciate those. I oh, <laughs> like an old school green, like, Autobahn Society book? That's yes. amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's just what happens. You hit like, um, I mean, I'm 34. And I think as soon as I turned 33, I just, you know, I went full on into the birds, you know, Yeah. start with one bird feeder in my backyard. And I would just, <laughs> I was sick with work and I just started watching them. And I've been yeah. hooked ever since, you know? Yeah, we have hummingbirds, crows, oh. parrots, I think I think doves. They look like pigeons. Uh huh. But I think they might be doves. Yeah. Don't let like, them hear you call them a pigeon if they're a dove. They're like, you know? are you kidding me? Yeah. Please. <laughs> they're Please. disgusting. Those are dirty. Yeah. We are the lovebird. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Oh, that's a whole thing. That's cool. Do it. Are birds making it into your uh, next stand-up special? I'm sure you don't want to give away any spoilers, but that <laughs> might that might get your 60-plus uh, audience to to the uh, deal. You know, you get a little bird watching I, jokes in there. Oh, do I have any? No, I don't think I do have any bird jokes yet. But I probably should start writing. I yeah. think about them a lot. So yet was the key word there. Yet was yet. the key word. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you this last bird story, uh, and Please. then maybe while I'm telling, you'll think of another bird story. Um, this podcast so far off the rails already, but I think it's fun. But so we got these red, uh, red-breasted mergansers. Okay, which is like a duck, but it's a diving duck, and they've got Ooh. the big head thing on them and those are the males now the females are more of like a uh a light brown kind of like you know how the cardinal like the mm -hmm. male is super bright and then the female oh, yeah. is a little bit more subdued same situation here well the female and i don't know why that's important to the story it really isn't but the female was like sitting there and surrounded by five 
of the male ducks and they just kept following her and i was like this is i don't think she wants this you know i don't think she does yeah no and then she she swam a little bit but then was and then turned around and shook her tail feathers and see this is the detail you get when you get binoculars and then um she found her one out of the thing and they swam off together isn't that Whoa. incredible so they're yeah. like, please, 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 please. And she's like, just one of you. Yeah. And she chose them and then they went off together. It was it was Whoa. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So um that's a weird story, but now you <laughs> now now you know. Now you know. It did remind me of another duck story that I have. <laughs> yes. Let's hear it. What what's the duck story? When I was a kid, um, I don't remember how old I was. I think I don't, let's say seven or something. Um I was playing with a group of kids in my neighborhood and we found a duck's nest like in it was like in the median in this grassy area like before you turn down our cul-de-sac yeah and it was unattended it was just a nest full of eggs and we were like we'll take care of them so we each took an egg and took it to our homes and Mm -hmm. i put it in this like really fuzzy sweater that i had and put it under my bed and i was like i'm gonna hatch this egg you took a you robbed the duck's nest I didn't know that that was bad. I did. I did rob a duck, but the, the mom wasn't there, so I was like, "Well, these are up for grabs." And then my <laughs> mom, <laughs> my mom found, of course, found the egg in my sweater and was like, "Why do you have an egg under your bed?" And I was like, "Because I'm going to hatch a duck and raise it in our home." And she was like, "Well, this de- <laughs> this duck is basically dead now because." The, it needs the warmth of its mother. We don't. We don't have the capabilities of warming this egg so much that it's going to, cra- like, crack its egg. And I was like, "Well, we put it back in the nest." And she was like, "Well, we already touched it. It's like it smells like us now. So the duck's long gone. The duck is never coming back to that nest." Which actually made me so sad. I was like, "But this, oh, no. this could have been a little duckling, and I fucking killed it." That is such a sad story. Did she make duck eggs out of it after she crack it and? Whoa, fry that's it? a good question. I actually have no idea what we do with the egg. No, I think we need maybe to we did up. eat it. <laughs> I need I need to ask her. Yeah, she, we just had eggs the next day, and I didn't even question it. I was like, <laughs> this one tastes a little, a little different, but <laughs> a little gamier than the average. Yeah, <laughs> I'll roll with it. Um, well, in non-bird news, you're doing uh, so many different things. Um, you're on home economics on, and I don't even know if like some people say economics, that's more like a class. Home economics is probably how yeah. You, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah. I, I've been saying economics. That was actually the first time I've heard someone say economics. You know what? That might just be a Midwest thing. I don't know. I yeah. don't know. Or I just heard someone say it like that once. I was like, that sounds smarter. I'm going to keep it saying it It does sound like smarter. Yeah. The economics, yeah. Yeah, it's very professorial. It's definitely not a Midwest thing. I'm probably just copying something. Anyway, it's a fantastic show. Um, And actually, Erin Wernberg, she's uh, she's been on this thing before, so over at uh, ABC. So, yeah. Um, But how... uh, You guys, right now, you're done shooting season two. Season two is well underway. We're done shooting it, but it's still airing until May. Nice. So it's still available. <laughs> and you're, it's um, it's a great show, and you've done acting. Your, I mean, really, your whole career started off with improv, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, moved to SNL and everything, and now you're doing uh, TV. Do you feel like, and you're shooting your next stand-up special? Do you feel like you have made it, or are you still in that place of like, oh, this could all end tomorrow? Um. I thankfully I don't feel like it could all end tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I do feel confident enough to be like, I'll get some work some way. Um, yeah. But I also still have other goals I want to reach. So I don't feel like I've quote unquote made it, but yeah. I do feel like I'm in a good place. That's a really good place to be like, oh, this could all end tomorrow. I feel like I'm always in that place of, oh, this could all end tomorrow, <laughs> you know? So I just <laughs> like ask, very fear-based, yeah. Yeah, it's like wakes me up with a pan- panic attack every morning, so. Uh-huh. Um, but that's a good place to be in. So like with that sort of um, perspective of it, you say you have like other things you wanna do, what does that look like? I wanna direct, I would love to, direct TV, films, I want to produce my own stuff, I want to write my own stuff, I have a book idea 
Um, I want to act more as well. I want to be in like I want to be in big flashy Marvel movies. I love that shit. Oh, um, nice. And yeah, I don't know. I just want to be. I just want to use all my abilities as best as I can and get more of my voice out there. Yeah, yeah. Do you um, do you find yourself kind of going like a little um, like this thing, this thing? Th- like it, it's tough to do all these things at the same time. But are you somebody who can do? Okay, now I'm just focusing on my stand up special. Now I'm just acting. Like, can you just do one thing at a time, or are you always like? trying to um i am doing multiple things right now like i we wrapped on home ec but i will be shooting another show soon and then woke airs april 8th so like the acting's still happening but i do have more time to do stand-up which i love i i honestly was like oh good i have nothing but time to just focus on this and then another gig came up which like great (laughs) but i was like all right well then I can do both. I'll just try to do both. So I don't know. I, I don't know if I prefer one or the other. I like being busy. Honestly, um, I was talking to my therapist about this because I was like dying for another job. <laughs> and she was like, is there a reason why you don't want to just like chill? And I was like, I don't want to assess that. I don't want to. <laughs> we're, we're not going there. I'm not paying <laughs> no. you to look at that part of my life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, is this a bad thing? I think it's a fine to want to work all the time. But um I think it's also probably good to take breaks and just be with yourself. So I'm trying to find that happy medium where I'm not just working, working, working or doing nothing at all. Yeah. I got a real hard time with just doing nothing at all. It it sounds like like when was the last time you were really able to just do nothing at all? Uh, (laughs) I don't even know because I I was also working during the pandemic. So I can't even be like during... (laughs) Yeah. The time we were supposed to just like quarantine and be home, I was like really doing nothing because I wasn't. I was still working. Thank God. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I cannot think of a time when I was just doing nothing. Have you always been that way? Like when you were kids stealing uh, duck eggs and everything, were you always <laughs> just go, go, go? Yeah. After I stole the duck eggs, I had a lemonade stand down the street. So I just, I was like, I have things to do. Did um, you? No, no, no. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah. But I did I was on the go all the time. Like I in in school I would, I did every club available. I was like in the literary magazine club. I was on the yearbook team. I was on the spelling team, bowling team, volleyball, track, show choir. I did orchestra. I just did I <laughs> loved school. I just really loved being at school all damn day. Um and then even after I was done with my activities, I would like go to the library and work on my homework. So yeah, I just, I was a little You've worker had that. Do you think yeah. that, that that mentality came from uh, being a military brat? Also, what is military brat even? I've heard that term thrown out yeah. a bunch. What, where does that come from? This is the child of somebody in the military and which also means you probably bounced around a lot when you're younger. So like I was born in Japan and then we moved to Kentucky and then Texas and then Virginia and then California. And then my parents split and I moved to Indiana and stayed there till 18. So what makes you a brat, I guess, about it? Or why do they say brat? That's a really good question. Because um, I don't identify as a brat. Yeah, you don't seem <laughs> don't like think... a brat. Yeah. I don't know I why mean... they, I don't know. I That's just a term that's always, I've never heard a different option. I don't know why yeah. they call them military brats. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I guess that sidebar question is over. But uh, what about do you think that your parents being in the military and having that uh, sort of mentality kind of influenced you to be such a hard worker? I think a little bit. It definitely helped me be um, adaptable to change. Like, I don't have a problem uprooting and moving quickly. Like, uh, I, I don't know. I think I lived in like nine different places in New York when I lived there. Maybe actually probably more, but um, I always could find a place like in a weekend. I like this is my place now, and I move. I, this is I signed the lease, and I move my stuff, and I'm done. Um, so now I'm in LA, and I'm I I'm in a house that I have, have I'm planned to be here for a while, but it's yeah. like it's new for me because I the longest place I've lived uh, was four four years. 
and in some apartment in New York. But yeah, I'm excited to see what this is like to be in a place that's like, this is my place now. And yeah. I, and I'm choosing to stay here for a long, long time. You haven't caught yourself like cruising other houses on Zillow, just seeing what else is out there just for fun. I still look. Yeah. It's also <laughs> just nice to look at Zillow and be like, right. what else is going on? Yeah. <laughs> Excuse the interruption, folks, but this is your regularly scheduled ad break. I am in the Pacific Northwest, and the only problem with the Pacific Northwest, aside for it not being the Midwest, is that there's no jolly good here. And I don't know what I'm going to do for my old fashions tonight, but I know they're going to be subpar because there's no jolly good in them. If you want to get your jolly good, check them out, jollygoodsoda.com. Proud sponsor. I hope they're proud. They've been a sponsor of the Cast for a while, and I'm proud of them. So hopefully they're proud of me too. And also another sponsor, Duluth Trading Company. Uh, I was actually just, I popped into a Duluth and Lacrosse, had a show there uh, last weekend, popped in and uh, got got some new boots, got their Jackrabbit uh, hiking boots, and they worked out great. Uh, the next day when I went to Prairie du Chien, did some hiking, did some birding. Um, by the way, saw a redhead woodpecker and a red-bellied woodpecker in the same day, so don't want to nerd out on you, but um, I was pretty impressed with myself. Anyway, uh, Duluth hooked it up with the boots, and also you can get the Midwest Survival Guide at Duluth Trading Company. Check out one of their stores or go to DuluthTrading.com. And finally, Mandwalk Minute, all your Midwest clothing needs if you want shirts that say, oh, tell your folks I says hi. And we got these new sexy fanny packs. And they say, uh, keep her moving and go Packers and F the Bears. And I think there's an Ope one in there too. If not, we're going to make one soon. Also, we uh, I want to thank all of you because we raised $3,600 for Ukraine relief for everybody who bought a Midwest nice t-shirt. And um, books are back in stock. So if the Midwest Survival Guide, it was tough to find for a while with... Uh, they sold out because you guys are absolutely amazing. So thank you for buying it. But they're back in stock now. You can pick one up uh, just by Googling it or check out uh, cripescast.com. We got it all linked up there. That's all, ladies and gentlemen. So back to the Cripescast. When you were in New York, um, how did, because you were doing improv, right? Uh, in college. Mm-hmm. And then how did you make that transition from doing improv to uh, eventually get on SNL. What was that journey like? Um, I I hit everything really hard when I moved there in 2009. I was doing improv, stand-up sketch, and and within the that year, my first year of living there, I was like, this is what I want to focus on. This is I want to because I thought I was going to do theater. I was trying to be on Broadway, um, but then I was like, my my desires are pulling me towards comedy more, mm-hmm. and. And I was just doing it because it felt good. It felt really fun. And I liked the people that I was meeting and I liked the people I was working with. Yeah, I think I just was so into comedy and and loving what I was doing. And then eventually it was like, oh, I can actually like work from this. Like my manager saw me on stage. My agent saw me on stage. And then like the people I was surrounded by were like in commercials or on on SNL or other th- other shows on The Office. And I was like, oh, okay. I didn't realize this is where... This is the farm for all the funny people I see on TV. And eventually, um, the artistic director of UCB, the Upright Citizen Brigade Theater, told producers at SNL, hey, you should come see this group. It was me, Nicole Byer, and Keisha Zoller um, perform. They're really great and funny, and you should see them. And someone saw us, asked to submit our tapes, and that was like maybe 2011 or something. So I auditioned a couple times in a row. And then in 2013, I was like, you know what? It's my last time. <laughs> I'm going to put together a really good tape. I'm going to try my best. Because I I tried before, but it was always like, a, if it happens, great. I don't know. We'll see. You know, if the universe wants to be, it'll be. And then that year, I was like, I'm actually going to try to do this. I, I'm saying it out loud. I want this to happen. I want to be on the show. I've always wanted to be on the show. And I'm going to give it a really good try. And if it doesn't happen, that's okay. And I will move to LA. I feel like I've exhausted a lot of opportunities in New York. I feel like maybe it's time to try other things in a different place. Yeah. And so I submitted my tape. And then uh, it became like, a, it was like a very fast, <laughs> frenetic 
frenzy that happened at the end of 2013. So I, like, it was like the tape. And then uh, there was a showcase. And then there was an in-person audition in the studio. And then there was an interview or a few interviews. And then like, it was like beginning of December until beginning of January. I was doing this long process. And then first week of January, they let, they let me know that I got hired. And then, wow. Which is also funny because I had already <laughs> had a place lined up in L.A. Because I was Did like, you? I'm leaving. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out of here. And and then I was like, oh, shit. Well, maybe, I, maybe I'm not leaving. And then I had to let the place go and, and stay. It, what what caused that internal shift for you to go from like, I kind of want this to know this is exactly what I want? Like what made that shift? I mean, I, I do remember a friend uh, helping me with that because I was talking to my friend Charlotte, who's also a stand up and writer. And and she was like, do you want to be on SNL? And I was like, I mean, yeah, who does it? And she was like, do you actually want to be on that show? Like, just say it. And I was like, yeah, I really, really want to. And She's like, okay, then, then th- go for it. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, and that really did. It felt like a, a flip was switched, and uh, I don't. I don't actually know what I did differently, but just energetically, I think um, me saying that out loud affected my thought process in that regard because it it wasn't like a just whatever thing. It was like this is actually important to me, and I'm trying, and it paid off. So when you were doing the um, audition process, did you find yourself like in the zone or were you, did you have like just the voice, like Lauren Michaels is there, like, like it, you know, it's it's such a big thing, especially as a comedian, you know, you build yeah. that up so much in your head. Were you building it up in your head or were you able to just be you when you were auditioning? I think both. <laughs> I think I yeah. built it up in my head yeah. and I was able to be myself. Um, and I feel really, really lucky that I, I had, like, it felt like the comedy community was also supporting me with this, too. Like, I um, was living with one of my best friends at the time, uh, Mateo Lane, and who's also a stand-up. And I was, like, going over my audition with him. And we rewrote everything that night, like, the night before <laughs> I was supposed to do it. Um, which, which, it was, like, the same stuff, but just different jokes. But I... It just felt good to have someone there to be like, I see how this is funny here. Like, let me help you punch it up. And then yeah. um, Hannibal Burris was hosting a show called At, at the Knitting Factory. Um, it was a comedy at the Knitting Factory. And I texted him and I was like, can I just do five minutes real quick? I just need to run my audition in front of other people because I just rewrote everything and I <laughs> yeah. need to make sure it's funny. And yeah. he's like, absolutely. And then I did it. And then he texted me after and was like, I, I think you're going to have to let go of that L.A. place. And I was like, oh, that's really nice. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just feel like uh, I was very well supported and felt pretty confident going in. And then when I actually was in front of Lauren Michaels and the rest of the producers and writers, um, it's it's interesting because they have everyone to the side of the camera, but you're not supposed to look at them. <laughs> you you oh. can if you want to, but yeah. the the who you're auditioning for is the camera, which is right in front of you. And the uh, the stage manager, Chris Kelly, who was so nice and supportive, and he was like, "You can look at me. I'm going to be standing right next to the camera. Yeah. Even if no one is laughing at what you're doing, I'll I'll be laughing." And I was like, "Okay." And and everyone was laughing. Thank God. Um, yeah. But I would look to the side of the camera and see Chris, and he had just like a big smile on his face, and that was so nice and wonderful, and and made me feel at ease. And I I honestly kind of blacked out <laughs> that experience, but I know I left the stage feeling like that was the best thing I've ever done. Like I still feel that way. That's like one of the best performances I've ever done in my life, and and it it worked. Wow, that is. Uh probably so not the typical story for your average person who walks in to SNL to audition. You know, it's probably like, I was terrified, but they don't get on SNL. So that's, uh, I, were you um, at that point, were you dealing with the anxiety and all that as well? And I was, but I, I didn't know it. <laughs> I don't think I was like aware of it, but for sure, I was like um, a mess. I was in bed after I had auditioned. I didn't hear anything for like a week or, or a week or two, and they're just like, "We'll get back to you." And I, w- I did not leave my bed for a while, um, which, like, thankfully, I had good roommates who could yeah. bring me food and yeah. water. Um, but yeah, I felt, I felt very anxious and crazy throughout that process. But and also, then, I think everyone else does too. 
Yeah. Well, once you got it, what what was that like? Do you remember where you were when you figured it out? I was at home. I was in my room. I had missed a call. Oh my god! I had missed a phone call. I was by my. I was like sleeping with the phone on my pillow for weeks, and then I like went to the bathroom, came back, and saw a missed call. And I was like, "What the fuck?" And I called back, and it was uh, one of Lauren's assistants, and she's like, "Hold on, I'm gonna patch you through to Lauren." I was like, ah, my god. <laughs> and then, um, and then Lauren uh, got on, which is also very funny because uh, he. He sometimes talks in a circular manner where you don't actually know what he's saying. So he's said very complimentary things to me and was just like, "Yeah, I think it'd be really good if you maybe if you try if you were on the show and then, and things would be good here." And I, and but like wasn't like you're hired. He wasn't like yeah. you're hired and you will work here. It was just like yeah. it would be nice. And I was like, "Okay." And then he <laughs> hung up and I was like, "Am I on the show?" And then a producer called back and was like, to be clear, you're on the show. You said next week. I was like, oh, okay, good. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> That's hilarious. So yeah. did, when you uh, got in and started uh, sort of getting in the weeds with it, with it, was it everything you expected or was it more pressure? Uh, how did that feel? I don't know if anyone could ever expect what it is because it's always so much more. There's so mm. much going on in that show and it's like, the the schedule is not like any other show the the amount of work that you do as a performer and writer is not like any other show it's just like there's no training for it um but it was immensely helpful for me as a performer and a writer and a comedian because i was surrounded by so many hilarious super talented people and then also you get to create your own thing like if you get if you get a sketch on you pick the costumes, you pick yeah. the the set design, you you pick everything. So you're kind of producing your own thing. And that's like a really cool feeling and also like training that you don't get everywhere. So totally. I, I really feel like it was like a boot camp and I left with so many skills to the point where I'm like, I feel like I could do anything. <laughs> like yeah. I did that, I can do anything. And did you have the aspirations to be a director before that or did that kind of give you the tools where you're like, this is something I really mm. enjoy? That's a good question. I think I was intrigued by directing and I had directed like plays and a couple like um, comedy videos before that. But I think, yeah, I do think that seeing more of the uh, input and control you could have on a production made me want to do it even more. Yeah, yeah, nice. And so you stayed there in the four years you were there. Is there like a sketch or something that never made air? Or maybe it did make air, but it's like this was so underwatched. People should go check mm -hmm. it out right now. <laughs> um, I mean, not to brag, but <laughs> uh, the sketches that I did that got on were well watched and yeah. Did, yeah. did really well. Um, but of course, I definitely did sketches that like didn't make air. I'm trying to think of, but you know, it's actually pretty crazy. Um, so much happens every single week. My memory, I'm finding that my memory is actually pretty bad of, of my time there. <laughs> yeah. Like I um, I watched The Jinx, uh, that Robert Durst documentary series yeah. during the pandemic. Cause I was like on a like murder kick. <laughs> and yeah, was, and I was we like, all get on I was like, oh something. yeah. And I was like, mm -hmm. I haven't watched The Jinx. I didn't watch it when it came out, but I know that SNL did a sketch about The Jinx when it was out. Um, but I didn't understand it cause I didn't, watch the documentary watch so I, I was yeah. like so i was like oh now i'll be able to go back and watch that sketch and know what they were talking about and so i finished the whole series and then i was like oh let me find that snl sketch and i pulled it up and i'm the first face you see but i didn't know i was in that sketch uh. <laughs> <laughs> like i turned the first person who's speaking is me and i was like i was like wait a minute i'm in this i like for fully forgot that yeah. I was even a part of it. So, but also like we all do so many sketches every week. So it's like, how could I possibly, I can't remember everything. I was going to say, that's just the the product of just making so much content all the time. Mm -hmm. And like, and like writing too, cause you're writing pretty much every week. Did you feel that pressure that a lot of people feel when they get on there? Like if my stuff's not on, like 
it was a bad mm. week or were you able to know, have confidence in yourself despite a maybe not the best week? Yeah, I think uh, by the end, I was just giving myself new goals because you can't bank on getting something on every week. So I was like, right. all right, if I can get something that makes the room laugh when we read at the table, I feel good. Or like if I get something that we rehearse, I feel good. Or if I get some, I don't know, it's just like find different things to, um, different markers to hit as opposed to getting something on air. Cause it's like, the numbers are bad. <laughs> there's like, there's yeah. one, like there's like 18 writers, 17 cast members. There's topical things that we have to hit during the show. And there's only maybe gonna be eight sketches in the show or, or whatever number we end up landing on. But it's like, that's, that's hard. It's hard yeah. to be able to get something in there. Um, so I was trying to be kind to myself by the end. But also, thankfully, I had already been doing stand-up for years at this point when I was mm. on the show. So if I did have a bad week, I could go do a show. And that would make me feel really good. If I it was like, oh, fuck, I'm not funny. Or like people don't like my ideas or whatever. Whatever self-loathing like thing I could say in my head, I could just go drop in on a show, do a set, and like get immediate feedback from a crowd that's like positive and then be like, ah, yes, 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 I am good at this. It's okay. I'm not the worst at what I do. People still like me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I feel like a lot of comedians are like that. If I have a bad show, the only thing that's going to make me feel better is a good show, you know? Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Um, it, 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 and it's almost like you're only as good as your last one. It not not the full mental picture of yourself, but there is this part of like I'm only as good as the last video or the, yeah. the, the last show. It's kind totally. of crazy how our brains are built like that. So yeah. you were you were there for four years. What made you decide to move on? I think I just felt like I had gotten a lot from the show, and I was ready to do some more stuff. Just more yeah. more of me and um, moved to LA and pretty quickly got on some TV shows and that was really nice. And yeah, I just wanted to explore what else I could possibly do. Did you have like um, Najin, our manager at this point, saying you have these offers coming in, you can't do it if you're doing SNL? Like, did you feel like comfortable leaving or were you like, ah, this is a big risk? Uh, it was a risk. I did not yeah. have those things. You didn't. Um, I know. I just, wow. I just, I guess I just believed in myself, which is like, I don't know. I, it, it, it would be scary to anybody. It, it was scary to me, but I just was so confident that I could be okay. And yeah. I was like, what else is going on out there? And yeah. it wasn't very long before other people were like, oh, she's free now. OK, let's go. Let's give her this job. We're like, put her over here. Um, yeah. But I know I, I wish I could be like, yeah, I had tons of shit lined up. So I was yeah. like ready to go. Like people were knocking at my door. No, <laughs> not at all. That's incredible. I mean, did you have people telling you like you shouldn't do that? You should you should stay a while longer. Or was it was everyone like, no, that makes sense. Mm. I had I had people in my life who were like, um, you know, I wonder if you should do that. Like you could do that, but it that's scary. Yeah. And of course it's scary. And then also like most of my friends are comedians and most comedians want to be on the show in some capacity. Right. So like me saying I'm going to leave seems strange because <laughs> they're like, well, why would you leave? Why would you leave the thing that I want to do? Or like, why yeah. would you leave this thing that everyone else wants to do? Um, but thankfully I have a manager who like, uh, the reason I worked with her is cause, uh, she was on some, like, we're going to change the world shit. <laughs> so she was like, yeah. you're bigger than this show. You can be on the show, but also like, I don't give a shit if you're here. And I was like, yeah. great. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I feel like my team, we're on the same page. My team was with me. No one was like, Ooh, God. And I've heard other people who have experienced that where people are not in their corner and they're like, oh, maybe you should stay like a couple more years or like, mm -hmm. you don't know what you're missing out on. This is a great club to be a part of and all that stuff is true. But yeah, I was just feeling like um, I spent years there and I do feel like I got a lot of good stuff out of it. And I also was feeling very anxious <laughs> and, and yeah. was feeling like maybe I need to do some stuff that's gonna make my 
brain and emotions feel a little clearer and healthier. And yeah, I chose I chose me. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good it, because it's an intense thing, right? When you're working there every week. I mean, it's a lot yeah. of late nights. It's a lot of um, and you're dealing with topical stuff. So it's quick turnaround on a lot of it. So yeah, I, and that's also a point where I was like, I don't want to talk about this stuff anymore. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't really give a shit about, I don't know, not that I don't give a shit, but just like, I don't, this is not bringing me joy. I don't want to talk about Trump. I don't want to talk about yeah. what's happening in the White House every single week, but that is literally what we're doing. So Right, right. Um, yeah. No, that's cool. That's probably that uh, military uh, brat or whatever you want to call it, always traveling around. Was that where you live? The longest? Was that, that the four-year stretch in New York? Ye- yeah, was it? I mean, no, I moved a couple times okay. while I was on that show. <laughs> but it. that was like the longest job I had had at that point. Yeah. So that yeah. was like, so yeah, maybe it also part of me feeling like I can like cut ties and move on is because I ha- I am used to that. Where right. I was already, I was already in the state for two years. Time to go, you know. I was already at this show for four years. That's a good amount of time. Yeah. <laughs> so that's I did it. I don't. Yeah, I, yeah. I think I think I can move on and try other opportunities. Definitely. And your your um, parents were they have they been supportive of it the whole way through? Yeah, I mean. Um, I feel like my mom started being supportive when I got on SNL. I yeah. think she was just confused before. She was like, um, "How are you going to make money? Like you're going, you're moving to New York to do comedy? Excuse me." Yeah. Um, but then I got on SNL. She was like, "Oh, I always knew, of course, of course." <laughs> and then when I left the show, I think she was like, "Interesting," but also like people outside of the industry don't fully know what that means they're just like oh i guess she's just leaving they don't know like i have a seven-year contract or like that that's a big deal um but yeah i think she's like well i hope you get something else and then other jobs did come so i think she's like great as long as she can take care of herself I yeah. support this oh i want to speaking of your mom i just wanted to touch on her um because was it this american life i think yeah uh, where were you you interviewed her about her experience essentially um, being part of the desegregation of one of the schools down there. Can you can you just talk yeah. about her experience a little bit? Yeah, that, that was interesting. I was asking my mom questions about her time growing up in Arkansas. She's from Forest City, Arkansas. And I always knew that she had helped desegregate a school, but I didn't know any details at all. And I think at some point in my adulthood, I was like, that must have been really hard. (laughs) I was like, like, we we hear about these people who do like sit-ins and marches and everything, but we don't, I, you know, I don't think we think about like, what was that like? Like, what was the actual, what was that day like? Or what was that experience like? What, what was it like at home? And so I started asking her a bunch of questions and, um, and she was just coming up with really interesting answers. And I was already talking to This American Life about potentially doing a story with them. And then I was like, I'm asking my mom all these questions. Can I just do that with you guys? And they're like, absolutely. And so yeah. I interviewed her and uh, it was interesting. Like she, and I'm glad she shared because um, it was it seemed like it was rough for her to dig into these memories because uh-huh. she was like, that's very alienating for a child to go to an all white school where they do not want you there. And you're Mm -hmm. in front of teachers who do not want you there. And it wasn't her choice. And that's something I didn't think about either. Like her parents signed her up for this initiative. And she was like, if I had a choice, I would have stayed with my black friends at my old school. I, and I, yeah, it was just so interesting. Cause like, I, I for sure didn't want to do stuff I was told to do when I was a kid. My mom made me play the violin. I hated that. <laughs> but like, I can't imagine my mom being like, you have to uproot your social circle and go to the school where you will be physically abused, verbally abused, emotionally abused for years. And because that's going to help progress. But you can't see that when you're a kid. Um, but I'm glad she did it. I'm glad she talked about it. Um, I think... She's happy. She, I don't think she's happy she did it. She she says she's not happy she did it, but she's 
I think, aware of the impact that it's had. It was just like a really hard experience to be a part of. Mm -hmm. And and did um, sort of her um, mindset or did that that she did that being in the back of your mind that did that inspire your uh, activism? Oh, yeah, I think so. I I come from a long line of strong people, like Mm -hmm. people who have started initiatives or changed things in their school district or their county or yeah, I, I feel very fortunate that I'm like a part of a family that's like, we're tough. And, and I think, so when I, I think when I am faced with challenges or faced with things that seem a little scary, I'm like, well, I can handle that. And Mm -hmm. it just doesn't even, I don't question it. It just feels like I can handle it. And Mm -hmm. I think it's because I know I come from good stock. Yeah. Yeah. And specifically, uh, your work with the um, ACLU, is, when did you start that and what, what first inspired you to get involved? I actually started uh, shortly after I got on SNL. And mm. uh, I'm the celebrity ambassador for their women's rights project. And they approached me. And I think they just saw videos I had put out and my stand up and they were kind of like your material aligns with the work we're talking about. And we would like to collaborate, which I took as a huge compliment because I was like, oh, oh okay, like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I want. I mean, I, I want to make I want to make people laugh, but I also want to motivate people and get people to think and get people angry or questioning things or I just want to move people to action. And I feel like working with the ACLU is a great way to do that because it's like a symbiotic relationship. They tell me what they're working on and what things need to be addressed. And then I tell them what I'm working on. And I feel like it's a great way for me to help inform my audience, but also help their audience digest things a little bit better Mm because I feel like comedy is a great way to get people's defenses down and people are more apt to like, listen to a joke or watch a funny video than like read an essay or a book or listen to a TED talk about some injustice that's happening around them. Cause that, you know, that makes people feel bad or cringy or um, attacked. And so I, I feel like my, me using my comedy to help shed light on some issues has helped people be able to absorb it a little bit better. Yeah, it's it's interesting how I think in 2016 we really saw this that um you know or even in in 2020 um 2020 uh, with George Floyd like when you come at people with hard facts there's so much pushback on it. There's so much uh I I don't think I, I had noticed how much people will just dig their heels in at just uh just inaccuracies, you know, mm-hmm. and just in order to uh, fulfill their thing. So in creating um, your comedy, your stand up, do you um, like consciously maybe weave in um, an issue while, you know, leading with the jokes? Like, do you, do you construct it that way or does it just organically happen? It kind of organically happens, um, which is interesting because I'm like, I guess that's just how my brain works because I. I'm not trying to do it. Like I, I tried to write like a, a real like silly joke about uh, cars with eyelashes. Like why, why are there cars with eyelashes? <laughs> who is doing this? Like who hurt you? What happened in your life that led you to the point where you wanted to put eyelashes on your vehicle? Yeah. And it's a great and thing. so it came from a a very silly idea, but then it morphed into this thing where I started analyzing the difference between car eyelashes and truck nuts. And then like, is that a reflection of society? Like why are, why are we putting nuts on the car? And like, why is that the level of like virility we want to display? And so it's just like, of course it went there. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I can't even just have a silly joke about eyelashes. <laughs> I have to start dissecting society while I'm doing it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I try to start things from like a, a personal place, like something that confused me, something that angered me, something that happened to me. And then 
most of the time it does get a bit expansive and I start talking about what that actually means culture wise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And is there a bit uh, and maybe that is it, but is there a bit you're the most proud of for for doing that? I mean, that that one's phenomenal, especially when you bookend (laughs) the car with the truck nuts and instead of bumper to bumper coverage, they should say truck nuts to eyelashes coverage. You know, that's a new marketing scheme. Um, mm, that's a really good question. I'm trying to think. Um, I mean, I have some really good, I have some bits I'm very excited about in my special. Yeah, why don't you just share them here? You know, it'll be. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no, I will, we'll wait for the special. We'll wait for the special. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) yeah. And, uh, I know we're running up on time, but before, um, I, I let you go, do you, um, sort of have um, advice for up and coming comics kind of, uh, you know, who look at what you're doing. They're like, that's it. That I, I would have I if I were in her position, I would I would have made it. You know, um, mm-hmm. do you have any advice for them for like how to get there and maybe not focus on that made it aspect as much? Yeah, I would say um, don't wait for a yes or don't mm-hmm. wait for permission. Um, I feel like the times I've been rewarded the most are because I just did a thing because I wanted to do it as opposed to like waiting for someone to like, you know, sign me to a thing or give me a job or give me money to do a thing. Like SNL knew about me because I created my own improv group and I, and like also our improv group came to be because all of us were rejected from the teams at our theater. Um, Really? So it's like. Yeah. So. Oh, that's cool. I had no idea that that was. I'm cutting off your advice because uh, I mean, <laughs> can we can we just pause your advice though? Yes. That is incredible. That like that you were the island of misfit improv toys, you know, and and you just said screw it, we're gonna do it anyway. And then, I mean, who is all on that uh, team again? Me, Nicole Byer, and Keisha Zoller. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, it, to that that I. I don't have anything to say other than that's incredible because you're you're all amazing and so you just decide to do it anyway that's so cool yeah i mean i think it's like easy to be like oh there's a system or there's rules this is the you do this and then you take classes and you did it and that's how you get the thing but and we did all that stuff for years and mm-hmm. we still didn't get the thing we still didn't get on stage and we were like well no one's telling us to not perform so we can just perform whenever we want to so we formed our own group, performed around the city. And then there was a, a competition show called Cage Match where team, two teams go against each other every week and the audience votes on who comes back the next week. Yeah. And we had like a tear. We like we were beating our teachers, we were beating house teams, we were beating everybody. And then eventually the theater gave us our own night because they were like, well, clearly they're good. <laughs> like, yeah. They're, yeah. Which is also why the artistic director told SNL about us, because they were like, this team is killing it, and you should probably see them. And yeah, I, I just feel like most of the moves I've made that were for me, that made me feel good or supported my artistry, um, that was the thing that made someone want to hire me, or that was the thing that made them want to propel me in a certain direction. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and like when I think about the jobs I've booked, like a lot of them have been like because someone just knew my my stand up or just knew I was funny, and they're like, "You would fit perfectly for this thing," and not because like I had a awesome audition or yeah, they're just like you. We want you specifically, you. So yeah, I would say do what you can to get your voice out there as much as possible. Even this special I'm about to film, I'm self producing it. I don't have. Are you? I'm yeah. doing the same thing right now because yeah. n- no one's going to buy my thing, I'm guessing. So I'm just uh, going to do it. Um, I'm just going to do it. I don't want to yeah. wait for someone to be like, oh, yes, finally, this network is going to say yes. And now I have like a million voices telling me like how to spend my money where I could just do it now and license it later. And then right. I own it. And I, it's, it's like fully me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's cool because when you get into the weeds of all that, like Netflix owning it or what, I mean, I would definitely take a Netflix special, but if they I mean, own it, <laughs> <laughs> so we're on the record. <laughs> but the upside of doing this is like you own it, you can release the clips in any way on social media mm-hmm. and there's no issue. And then, 
I mean, it, just the money from it, you know, whoever you sell it to, you're in such a greater position of power if you, you're, you're driving the deal, you know? Yeah. That's cool. Um, yeah. And you can do whatever you want, your own stipulations. So that's, Absolutely. that's good. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, congrats on that. I'm very excited for it to come out. You don't have a release date yet, I'm assuming. I don't have a release date. I'm filming it June 3rd in DC at Union Stage. Nice. And um, I'm very excited about it. Very cool. Well, I'm excited to see it when it when it comes out. And uh, yeah, I'm ha- I'm glad we met uh, doing that show at Marquette. And, yeah, uh, me too. Yeah, glad we got a couple. Where'd we get a, a beer after? Uh, I don't know. It was the, some like taco place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was that taco trucks and everything in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I can't remember. If I had more memories, uh, this would be a better interview. But, you know, <laughs> you know, I remember we had a good time. That's what I remember. We did have so, a good time. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate your time again today. And uh, I am going to send you the, those binoculars. So be on the thank lookout so in the mail. Yeah. No. I'm actually genuinely excited. <laughs> you thank me after you look at those parrots through those binoculars. You're going to be like, where were these knocks my whole life? You know? <laughs> Yeah, you're gonna yeah. shorten it to not. Once you start to calling Knox. them knocks, then oh my then gosh, you, I'll be yeah. a real pro. <laughs> you will, you will. Yeah, uh, awesome. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. All right, take care. And that is it for this week's Cripes Cast. Make sure you follow Sashir at the Sheer Truth on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for a special coming out soon. Uh, date TBD, but follow her and you'll get all the information. And of course, follow the Cast Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, at Cast on all those handles. Check them out or just head to CripesCast.com for tour updates, merch, and anything else you need. All right, ladies and gentlemen, keep her moving. Tell your folks I says hi. And as always, go Packers and the Bears. So roll out the barrel and get the band brewing. Life's got you down. Just keep her moving. It's on Wisconsin. The Badgers say it's the old Wisconsin Jubilee. Ladies and gentlemen, the Cast is executive produced by Colleen Maraca and produced by Bridget Barons. No relation. <laughs> Just kidding. She's my sister. Although she may want me to say no relation because there is certain. Day. Anyway, there you have it. Those are our, our credits, and they're both amazing. Keep her moving. Bye bye. Strike up the band Heaven's praise Lombardi Pack is back again And on Wisconsin The Badgers say It's the old Wisconsin Jubilee